Today on Season 3, Episode 64 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, a win is a win, but the concerns are aplenty. Join Bryce and Ken as they break down this weekend's Too Close for Comfort battle in Green Bay. It wasn't all bad, though. MVS had a big day, and a key member of the offense was locked in. You asked for it, we delivered. Ken spends his second half breaking down the historic third contract for David Bakhtiari. How can the Packers afford this massive contract? What does this mean for the pending free agents? Listen in and find out. And now it's time for 7-2 and two on tap. This is Green Bay. Green Bay. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. Let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. This is Green Bay, Green Bay, Green Bay. And welcome to the Unknown Packers podcast for 7 and 2 on tap. Packers win 24-20 in an ugly game. But a win is a win, and the Packers improve to 7-2. and two. We have on the agenda, we're going to talk about the Packers win, game balls, areas of concern, and then the second half, we're dedicating it all, essentially, to the extension of David Bakhtiari. We got big, bad Ken Ingles with me. How are you doing, Ken? Hey, Bryce. I'm, I'm doing well. 7-2. and two. Can't complain. You know, a little ugly, but they all count the same in the end. So I'll take it. And Green Bay sitting on top of the NFC, looking at that one seed, looking down at everyone else. Can't be too unhappy with that. Well, I, I want to mention this real quick. So the Packers look a little bit different than they do at home than they do on the road. And this thought crossed my mind after the Packers won 24-20 over the Jaguars. Do you think they're a team that's better suited to be a two or a three seed Compared to like in years past where you needed the one seed you wanted, all the road to the Super Bowl had to go through Lambeau. Is this a different type of season? I don't know. I think you always want the buy. There's always going to be players on your team that can maybe use the extra week of recovery. Everyone's playing hurt, especially because they had that early bye week. Mm-hmm. Was it week five of the season? And so I think you always want the you always want the buy. You always want home field advantage, even though home field really doesn't mean anything. But yeah, like so far the identity of this team isn't isn't of like your our um, you know your daddy's uh, Packers, right? These aren't mm-hmm. th- this isn't like the '90s where the frigid frozen tundra Lambeau Field. Like, right. what strengths of this team tell you that? This is a cold weather team. They're not running the ball particularly well. They're not defending the run particularly well. And all the skill position players tend to, you know, Rodgers, wide receivers, they're going to like it when it's a little bit domey <laughs> rather than windy in these blizzard conditions that we've seen. But I think you take the buy. I think you're happy with a buy. I think that's the goal. That's what you want for. It's just kind of been a different identity of a team and different kind of an odd season with no fans around. And the thought crossed my mind, granted, I'm always glass half full, a little bit more on the optimistic side. And throughout the game yesterday, I was channeling that like, all right, just buckle up, just 
pull through. And then after the game, it made me, it dawned on me where Lafleur has been 0-2 after the bye this year and last year. And then they just came off a mini bye, 10-game stretch where they didn't play. The last game they played was Thursday night against the San Francisco 49ers. And it started thinking to me, is this a team that doesn't, that shouldn't have these buys? And (laughs) this wasn't a buy, but it just made me think these long lulls. So when you're looking at that one seed, and I know we're we're jumping the gun, and we we weren't even really planning on talking about it. But right after you, right when you started this episode, I started thinking, is this team better suited to just keep the momentum going where they play week in, week out, wrap up the season, go into the playoffs, no buy? It might be nice for the Packers to you know, rest and and get ready, but there's something that's gnawing at me and maybe Lafleur can figure it out but it just seems to be that when they have a little bit of a break they lack that energy and that that that's right, one of the areas right. of the concern is that lack of tempo they just looked flat and we're, we're going to talk about the positive because this is a, a a victory episode but that was the first thing that stuck out to me was just this lack of tempo they just felt flat did you feel the same? I mean, you had two of them. Right. This well, game. yeah. And, you know, going back to kind of the history of this team for a bit, you know, what they haven't under the floor, they haven't won a game after the bye week yet. Um, again, this mini bye against a, let's call it what it is, a bad team came out looking flat. One thing that I noticed looking at the first three drives of each half, it was flat. It was it was it was stale. It was troublesome. If you look at the first half, three and out, then they had a punt based, you know, because there's a ton of penalties, false start, chop block on the offensive line, and then another three and out. So those are your first three drives of the first half. First three drives of the second half, Adams had his fumble, turnover on downs, and then an interception. So it's this happens, you know, if it happens once, okay twice coincidence three times it's it's a pattern and it's a little concerning and it's something that the coaching staff has been vocal about they're not pleased the floor has made it pretty clear in his press conferences he's taking it upon himself and his staff that they need to improve and it's on the coaching staff to figure out what it is to make sure that these guys are in the right mindset going into these games and this was the first time that the Packers didn't score on their opening possession, and I thought that the Jaguars were pretty bold by winning the coin toss, deferring, and essentially giving the ball to the Packers, who had scored on every single drive uh, this season up until Sunday. And that's where, like you laid out, that's where you started to see right off the bat they didn't score, and I thought, oh, okay, interesting. Maybe, maybe the weather had something to do with it. That was such a big talking point leading up to kickoff, and Rodgers had mentioned it in the Minnesota game, I believe, with with the weather. And that's how you let a bad team hang around. You give the ball away. Penalties that take points off the board. You allow a punt return or special teams touchdown. Like you mentioned, Devontae Adams with the fumble, which led to a Jacksonville touchdown. Aaron Rodgers threw an interception. They didn't get penalized too much, but you had a holding call on Billy Turner. Uh, which took a touchdown, an incredible catch by Devonta yeah. Adams, which I believe he rolled his ankle on that, on that catch because he was hurt a little bit. He went to the sideline a little bit after that, and um, yeah, the 91-yard punt return that I talked about. And so, 
when you look at the the 24-20, it's a miracle that the Packers were able to squeak this one out and come away with a victory. But like you said, uh, wins and losses were seven and two. But what were what were some other areas of concern for you? I just mentioned a couple. You know, it's again these patterns that tend to plague this team, and not being able to stop the run. Robinson of the Jaguars, he basically was doing whatever he wanted to do. Yeah, I think here's a good quote from Bill Huber put on Twitter during the game. He's like, Robinson breaks three tackles for a touchdown, but it's holding. (laughs) Second time I've typed that today. He had these monster runs in the second half where he was just running over our defense. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, you know, fortunately, I should say for the Packers, unfortunately for him and the Jaguars, you came back both times from you know, holding calls and you can go back and forth about how ticky tack they were, but you know, they were in fact called. And in the first half he was running wild. I think he had, he was averaging over seven yards a carry in the first half. And for whatever reason, they ended up going away from the pass a little bit more in the second half. That was bizarre. Yeah. But they were, you know, it's, it's been the concern all off season and all season really don't really know what they can do to fix it at this point help is not on the way they're not trading for anyone there's probably not not some all pro defensive tackle just sitting on this couch at home waiting for the Packers to call them the guys that they have on the roster are going to need to step up Billy Wynn has been inactive the past three weeks I don't know if he's really the the missing piece but you know maybe they just need to have a better rotation of guys on the middle who are maybe less winded who can come in and maybe be a little more disruptive or have a little more energy to hold up and not be gassed towards the end of the game. I don't know. I don't know what they can do. What are your thoughts? We're on the same page. That rush defense was the other area of concern for me. I mean, uh, Robinson all in all had 23 carries for 109 yards. He finished with a 4.7 yards per rush. His day could have been a lot bigger had he had not had those two holding calls that were negated touchdowns. Um, And like you mentioned, for some reason in the fourth quarter, uh, Marone and the Jaguars decided not to feed Robinson, which was the blueprint to beat the Packers. So gave us a little fortune cookie to uh, squeak out this win. Andy Herman tweeted this out. Oh, this is pretty funny. He said, hey, hey, Google, show me the Packers red zone defense when using a three-man rush this season. Touchdown, touchdown, incomplete, touchdown, pass interference, drop, touchdown, touchdown. And that's the thing that I don't understand, um, this three-man rush by Mike Pettin. They were able to clamp down in the fourth quarter when they needed to, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, one of the heroes for our game balls. But this is a bad Jaguars team. I know that when we when we interviewed J.P. Shadwick, he said this was a very scrappy team that doesn't back down. You saw that. Absolutely. But, I mean – Better coaching, maybe not a rookie signal caller. The Packers would have lost this game. And so I I look at these areas of concern. Special teams, they're not they're not in sync at all three phases. This lack of tempo that seems to rear its ugly head, sort of week in, week out. And then this three-man rush and this rush defense, those are three things that will inhibit us from getting to the promised land and to the goal that we all want as well as the Green Bay Packers organization. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing a different team in Indianapolis, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm half-glass-full type of dude. Right. But when you look at these concerns, all the opposing 
coaches or defensive coordinators, all they need to do is review the tape, and they have what they need to do to beat the Green Bay Packers unless Lafleur can correct it. Right. Well, we'll see. You know, you mentioned going up against the Colts, and I think the Packers right now are underdogs right now in that game. An early, like I think, a one and a half point dog, and that's concerning. But you look at uh, what Philip Rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, now quarterbacking that team who picked apart the Packers last year when he was on the Chargers. One of the three losses that we had last year. And again, if you get a guy who is experienced and is really good, like he's a he's a really good quarterback in this league. I feel like he's super underrated year in and year out. But he's a guy who if you do a three-man rush and he's gonna he's gonna pick apart this defense all day. So Going back to your concern, hopefully, like you said, look at the tape, review, do some self scout, and hopefully, you know, make the adjustments necessary before game time and not scrambling in the second half trying to play catch up. Well, this is a victory. It is. It episode. is episode. It, it, so it was an ugly. It was an ugly win. A win <laughs> is a win, but you know, let's be honest. There were times during that game. I'm like, they're not winning. The Packers are going to lose this game. Oh, they, for they, sure. they, they don't even look like they showed up. So I, I know I'm not trying to be a downer, not trying to be down on the Packers. I love them, but that's what's on in my mind. It, there, there wasn't a ton, you know, that jumped off the page as this was, Oh, we're going to win by, you know, three mm-hmm. touchdowns and, a, and just, on to the next, right? It's just not one of those games. And so, unfortunately, it's a pattern. And I think it deserves some conversation. I had a weird feeling about this game. I did too. I, and I, the, the mini buy for me, it's just something that the, the tempo, and I couldn't put my finger on it. After interviewing J.P. Shadrick, I thought, oh boy, this is a, this is a team that has really nothing to lose coming into a fanless uh, Lambo. So you're, you're losing that other... X factor, but actually, what I was saying with the whole victory episode was that it was a segue into talking about a couple positives. Let's do it from this twenty four twenty win. And I know everyone that's tuning in, do not worry. Right after the commercial break, we're talking David Bakhtiari, Ken Ingles, and his beautiful mind are going to enlighten us with this uh, wonderful surprise. It was almost like a win win Packers win, and then David Bakhtiari extension. So. For the first game balls, we're switching it up. Uh, We're going to do one offense, one defense, just two game balls. And first and foremost, Ken, who gets the first game ball? Well, I think if we're looking, uh, starting the offensive side of the ball, who would have seen this coming? MVS gets the game ball for the Packers. His first one. First was it the first one we've doled out? I think so. I I do not think MVS has gotten, I mean... We didn't give it to him in that San Francisco game. Right. should have probably. He's had a game, and I'll tell you what. Ever since Packers were making headlines at the trade deadline of being interested in Will Fuller, he stepped up his game. Jacob Morley put out a tweet. Since the Packers did not trade for Will Fuller, MVS has six receptions, 202 yards, and three touchdowns in the past two games. And uh, Ross Uglum had a nice little... Tweet out there, MVS is quietly on pace for 850-plus yards and 7-plus touchdowns this season. And then in whisper tone says, that's a wide receiver number two. (laughs) So, you know, good for him for stepping up. And I think he saw some of the headlines. 
Obviously, it was no secret that the Packers were interested in fortifying that room and they were, were making some serious talks. And a lot of it was probably on his them counting on MVS to, mm-hmm. to, to step up the season and really wasn't there. He's been up and down, a roller coaster, but came to play this game. Uh, that 78 yard touchdown. Was beautiful. Was just beautiful using the uh, using the deep judge as uh, as an de- extra def- uh, pick player to uh, run the moving over. screen. Yeah, the, the, the moving screen. Yeah, <laughs> and then I I was concerned at the end he threw up his hand. I thought he did like the um, Aaron Jones bye bye, but I think he just threw up the peace <laughs> sign. I was like, oh no, don't have that come back. That would be <laughs> so bad. But you know he he was there. He, he made some just great catches. Uh, there was a hot route that was when they were in the red zone. That he just it just looks so smooth and so nice. Him and Rogers on the same page, but more than, more than happy to give uh, MVS out a game ball this week. Yeah, and just to add to that, I mean career high 149 touchdowns. Um, you're unveiling some juicy stats. Yards, so I not, I gotta, not, not touchdowns. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. 149 receiving yards. Uh, MVS has five touchdowns of at least 40 yards since the start of 2019. He's tied for third most behind Tariq Hill and A.J. Brown. And on top of that 78-yard touchdown, that sparked the Packers' offense because they had punted three times in that first quarter. And I think something else that maybe people might not gravitate to, but uh, in the second quarter when the Packers were facing a third and three, you had Rodgers that scrambled out of the pocket, and he found Valdez Scantling uncovered in the middle for a 22-yard gain, but it was also MVS finding that soft coverage and just working with Rodgers. Like you mentioned, they are on the same page. Um, He also caught a 31-yard pass in the second half for his fourth 100-yard game of his career, and uh, pretty impressive after the Thursday night victory over the San Francisco 49ers with his two-touchdown performance, follows it up with 149 yards, his career high, and a first game ball from the Unknown Packers podcast. Well, I figure we'll continue the the tradition or we'll continue the game ball segment. And for the defensive side of the ball, talking about first game balls, uh, Rashawn Gary led the team with seven total pressures. Uh, the one thing that I really love to see Rashawn Gary do is those power inside moves. The more he goes inside, the more he just wreaks havoc. He's still trying to figure out that, you know, that, High side speed rush mm-hmm. is what Ben Fennel called it. But check this out. With the Packers protecting a four-point lead, Gary got pressure on rookie quarterback Jake Luton on second, third, and fourth down. On second and 10, he bull rushed right tackle Jawan Taylor and sacked Lutton. On third down, he again pushed Taylor back into the quarterback just as Preston Smith was doing the same from the other side of the pocket. Smith ended up with the sack on that play. And then on fourth down, after Zadarius Smith chased Lutton out of the pocket, Gary slipped off a double team, chased the quarterback around, and he was ended up throwing that desperation pass that landed out of bounds. But on four straight plays, really impressive stuff. This is the only second time this season that Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, and Zadarius Smith each had a sack. But you're beginning to see why the Packers selected him 12th overall in the 2019 NFL draft that was impressive if we can get him going and this can be kind of a week in week out performance I know it was against the Jaguars but they clamped down when they needed to clinging on to that four point lead maybe those are some sort of confidence boost 
type of momentum plays for Gary, especially in his second year, but uh, you love to see it out of a second-year player in Rashawn Gary. Absolutely, man. It's draft and develop, not draft and start. And I say that over and over, and it was... I know people were frustrated with the pick at the, you know, number 12 overall, wanted someone who can be an immediate starter and impact player right away. Uh, The Packers found someone that they could mold a little bit and use his unbelievable athleticism and mold him into a a freak talent, hopefully. Right. And we're starting to see that. And yeah, seven pressures on 22 pass rush snaps. That's insane. Yeah, he, he's starting to change the uh, tilt the field, starting to understand what he's good at. Like you mentioned, the the inside moves, you know, the outside speed rush stuff is, is not necessarily his most effective right now. If he can hone that in, ooh, baby. And, you know, as a preview into this, maybe the second half, it's good that Gary is developing because one of the Smiths might not be around next year, unfortunately, if we're looking to try and sneak some other players uh, under the salary cap. So seeing Gary come up and develop might make one of those other guys expendable. A little harbinger for the second half. We're going to take a quick commercial break because we're going to get back into it with the second half of 7-2 and two on tap, talking about all-pro left tackle David Bakhtiari sticking around for the Green Bay Packers for the foreseeable future. Super excited. We got Ken breaking down the contract. We'll be right back. Go Pack Go. This episode is brought to you by Sonic Transformation. Check us out at www.sonictransformation.com. Sonic Transformation, your sound refined. Go, Pat, go! And we are back with the second half of 7 and 2 on tap. We should really be calling him David Bakhtiari on tap. And I, I'm giddy. I feel like a kid in the candy store Christmas. Like I wrote a letter to Santa and... It's coming true. Having a just fresh conversation with Ken Ingles talking about David Bakhtiari, but right after the 24-20 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, we were graced with uh, the news that David Bakhtiari was extended, and the salary cap guru, big bad Ken Ingles, what was the first thought that popped in your head after that news broke? Well... The first thought is I'm sitting there watching the game and it's the fourth quarter and I see someone retweeting the fact that Bakhtiari was locked up. So the first, oh. <laughs> yeah, it happened during the game. And, I didn't catch oh, that. Oh, yeah, I was all on. Yeah, I, the, the, <laughs> the fourth quarter was, I was frantic. I'm sitting there like trying to hope that the Packers can hold off and, and win the game first and foremost. But then I'm like, okay, what are the details here? And so the first thought was, is that account a legit account? Is it a verified or was someone trying to to spoof pro football talk who broke it? But no, it, it is real. It is here. Yeah, David Bakhtiari, baby, getting paid. I know that we've had some conversations in the past about mm-hmm. Bakhtiari wanted to be the highest paid uh, left tackle or highest paid offensive lineman in the game. He made no secrets about that. Um, he's mm-hmm. talked about that for a while. And that's exactly what he got. He got a four-year extension, and the average on that new money is $23 million a year. And so that is $1 million more than Laramie Tunzel just got back in May, I believe, 
from the Texans. And that deal at the time was thought just to be absolutely ridiculous because of just how much leverage Tunzel had over the Texans because they gave up the farm to to acquire him. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, okay, well, you obviously want me, so you got to pay me. And they did. And Bakhtiari one-upped him by a million dollars a year, which I was not expecting, frankly. I thought that they would maybe match it or come in at like 20, but $23 million, which great for him. And the $30 million salary or the signing bonus too, which is what the third highest right now behind Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald. Right, yeah. It's the highest for an offensive lineman. So not only is he highest paid Mm -hmm. offensive lineman, but his signing bonus is the highest ever for an offensive lineman. So he got he got paid. So we talked about how the salary cap was going to take a hit. It can't go lower than 175 million next year and this is due to like lost revenue because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the thing that perked my ears up was when Brian Gutekunst addressed the media, he said by locking up David Bakhtiari it gives the Packers a little bit more flexibility moving forward how does that work out how do they now have more flexibility i mean they they did the biggest to-do list they crossed off the biggest to-do list with kenny clark and now david bakhtiari you got your d tackle left tackle. you don't have to worry about that going in the draft looking for his replacement but how does this give the packers more flexibility when the cap is going to drop to no lower than 175 mil next year right so I think when I when I heard that from Gudikins as well, two things initially came to mind. So again, this is a four-year extension. So it goes 21 through 24, 2021 through 2024. But because the deal was signed and executed in the 2020 season, they can, that signing bonus, they can use that um, and spread that across five years, including this year as well. Okay. instead of only four. So when you have a, what, $30 million signing bonus, it's going to be $6 million over five years each year. Okay. And it would be, what, $7.5 million a year. So right off the bat, you have a million and a half less that's going to be in each year in the future against the salary cap. Okay. Also, that was, what he's, yeah. that was what he was referring to. Yeah, well, that and they're able to do some other things. So they're able to drop his base salary. So he was making $10.5 million a year in base salary this for the 2020 season. Starting with the game against the Jaguars, they dropped that to the minimum for Bakhtiari, which is a million oh fifty. And so they, they dropped it 90%, um, which oh, is a geez. huge drop. But he didn't do that out of the goodness of his heart because, yeah, he's <laughs> going to get paid less. He'll be, get paid like $6 million like net in base salary, you know, but... He gets paid high for a few games, gets paid low for a few games, so it'll be about six. But then he got a $30 million signing bonus. So if you add that all together, he got a raise of $25.5 million for this season alone in cash, right? That's cash, cool, cold hard cash in his pocket. <laughs> so that's another aspect. And then a third aspect is, so what they're likely going to do, if you look at this structure, it's a $23 million a year again. It it's hard to make it cheap in any year when you're talking about that much money. Like this is an enormous contract. So right now his salary cap for 2021 is 19 and a half million dollars. That was not on the cap, you know, before he signed. So that's an addition, you know, that they have to try and fit. 
But what they can do, and I think where he was going with this, is of that $19.5 million, there's an $11 million roster bonus. And I guarantee that they are going to restructure the vast majority of that roster bonus. So what they'll do, instead of calling it a roster bonus, which is just you get this money if you are on the roster the third day of the year, they're going to, instead of that treatment, they're going to say, never mind, we're going to give you the same amount of money, but we're going to call it a signing bonus instead. Uh, that's what and, they like to do. Yep, and what, when, when that happens, they get to spread that $11 million over the rest, the remaining four years. So that could that will free up about ten point three million dollars, I believe, if they were able able to do that up to ten or sorry up to eight point three million dollars for the twenty twenty one year. So it does give them some flexibility if they need it. Okay. They can do less. They can do more. They didn't build it into this the contract that way because they want to be flexible. So, and with these new contracts, they don't need the players' permission to be able to pull off a restructure they can just do it as long as it's like i said they just say instead of a roster bonus you're getting a signing bonus the cash doesn't change it's just the way we account for it on the salary cap they don't need to go to bakhtiari and say hey can we pretty please do this um he doesn't have a say in it they can just do it but if they don't need all that money for if there's other things that they do um it might not be in their best interest to restructure all of it because yeah you can restructure it but for every dollar you quote unquote save is money that you basically push down the road and you have to deal with as dead cap in future years. Like spending too much on your credit card that you don't have. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not bad for uh, the fourth round, 109th selection back in 2013. Right. When Gutekunst was the director of college scouting, he said that they had a higher grade on him than the, in the fourth round. And he's developed into arguably the best left tackle in the game. He's been a linchpin on this Packers offensive line. Uh, interestingly enough, he's the second Green Bay tackle in team history to earn AP All-Pro recognition in four consecutive seasons. So on top of that, these last four years, he's just year in, year out, proven that he was a must-sign. So when we were going back and forth right after I found out the news, you dropped this line that got me so excited that I've just been dying to talk about is that you reverse engineered this contract. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this right now, but I'm just throwing that out there. Like how how does your beautiful mind work when this contract drops? And what did you mean by that? Well, so when we get the news and obviously my focus is I spend my time on the salary cap. And when some like news like this drops, I'm just trying to figure out as much information as I can scraping what I can you know come across on Twitter from you know the NFL insiders who give little samples of okay it's going to be this much of a signing bonus or x amount of dollars over the first 2 years or by March of next year he'll have this much cash and so knowing piecing all that together and then um some other information I was able to come across able to kind of reverse like I call it reverse reverse engineering like okay Knowing what I know of his current contract, or I guess I should say now his old contract, (laughs) and now his new one, and all these metrics that his agent put out into the press of, you know, these are going to be the, how much cash he's going to get at all these times, I could back into, okay, how much are his roster bonuses going to be? 
How much is his base salary going to be? How much are the workout bonuses and per game bonuses that the Packers love to throw in on their mm-hmm. veteran contracts uh, more than anyone else in the league? Able to figure all that out. So, and I feel very confident. Like this isn't official. Like we haven't had like the Adam Schefters break this down and and tweet out this these exact details. But I'm pretty confident this is how it's going to land. Maybe some money might be not in base salary and it might be a little bit higher workout bonus or vice versa. But I don't see um, what I put out there. If you follow, you know, go to my Twitter account, you can check it out. I don't see the salary cap numbers changing very much. I don't see the structure changing very much. I think this is, I think this is it. And now it's just a matter of time to kind of get confirmation. And pretty thrilled for one to, I don't know. I know that I shower you with compliments, but just to be able to pick your brain on what I think is a very complicated topic in the salary cap. It's allowed me to look at the team way more holistically. Two, doing this podcast has also, on a human level, made me more connected to the players, coaches, reporters, fans, what have you. And so when Bakhtiari, when news broke that he got this extension, on a human being level, couldn't be happier for the guy. On top of it, locking up a left tackle. But this is what Bakhtiari said. I never really wanted to say that I get to be a Packer for life, but that is something that is really becoming true. And I control that now to finish it out to stay in one spot. This place, Green Bay, is very special to me, and I've given them all of me since day one. I would like to continue that, and like I've told them, they won't regret it. They did it in 2013 when they drafted him. They didn't in 2016 when they re-signed him, and they're not going to regret it in 2020 with his third contract. And I'm going to own my own up to my end of the bargain. Man, that just gives me chills because I just feel like, come on, bring home a Super Bowl championship for David Bakhtiari, for an Aaron Rodgers. This is the contract. This is the – I. that's the thought that crossed my mind is like, okay – Let's win one for David Bakhtiari. And how cool is it for him to say that he could finish his career as a Green Bay Packer, one and done, one team? That's amazing. That's what every player wants to do, but very little players get to make that choice for themselves, right? Either a team decides they don't want you around anymore or, well, actually, that's usually how it ends up. A team decides they... <laughs> yeah, I was just yeah. thinking that. And then, you, you know, but you don't think you're done and you, you have an opportunity to go somewhere else. And it's great to see it uh, when it does happen. And unfortunately, in this league, it just doesn't tend to pan out that way for the most part. You know, looking at our current... I don't want to get out too much off tra- track here, but, you know, our current quarterback, whoever would have thought that we'd be drafting a potential replacement and talk about trading him away, but that's a very real possibility down the line. But like I said, I couldn't be happier for Bakhtiari getting this deal. And man, he must love playing the Jaguars because Ben Fennel uh, broke. It was amazing. And then uh, Bakhtiari talked about it in his press conference, but that his last extension that he got was also a four-year extension and it was signed the night before playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. So crazy is that? maybe, maybe in four years, they'll be playing the Jaguars again, because that's how the scheduling works with the AFC teams. You know what? He'll be 33, 34 at the time. Okay. I don't think that's probably going to happen, but you never know. Well, speaking of players now, 
the big talking point that we do in the second half, we've done this for the last several episodes, are salary cap questions. And we've been talking about, you know, last week we talked about if David Bakhtiari doesn't get re-signed, who would it be? Well, now that Kenny Clark has been extended, David Bakhtiari as well, the three other names, Corey Lindsley, Aaron Jones, and Kevin King, who are free agents next year. But on top of that, you talked about this in the first half where there could be some restructuring with one of the Smiths. With this contract now with David Bakhtiari, what does that spell for the free agents to be and then also Packers players that are rostered right right now? Look, next year is tough. I'm, I'm just going to say that. And this, this deal, while it's great for Bakhtiari and happy for him, it, it does, it, it's expensive. It's huge. And it's going to be a little bit difficult to work around. If I look at where I have the Packers right now with no other adjustments or anything, right now I have the Packers with this contract as is at $22.5 million over the cap next year. And then if you add in the draft class and just filling the roster up to 51 because they only have 40 guys in their contract, that number becomes $31.5 million. And then if you add in in-season things like the practice squad and then the 52nd and 53rd players. And then you need an in-season piggy bank of let's just call it $5 million. I have them at $40.9 million over the cap, like down the road. Now they don't need to be, they don't need to find $41 million when, you know, March one, when like the season begins, but eventually they're going to have to. And that's going to be tough. That's going to be really tough. They have a lot of options. Um, first of all, like I said, one of the first things that they'll do is they'll restructure his his roster bonus, and that will free up $8.3 million. Okay. They could play with Aaron Rodgers' deal and free up another thirteen point six, but that goes... Do you see that happening? Well, that's the question. Do they really want to put more dead money on a quarterback that they're want to get rid of maybe <laughs> so <laughs> oh no we're not you know talk. like again i i love rogers but i'm i just talking numbers here but yeah, that's I an know, option but, <laughs> and then zadaria smith is another guy that they could restructure and maybe free up 6.8 but that alone doesn't get you there Devonte adams could maybe get an extension um his cap is really expensive at 16 and a half but if they extend adams he's gonna get paid even more than Bakhtiari. He's looking at like 25 million plus. And you really want to give that to a 29-year-old wide receiver. So there's that's a risky move from a football and a business perspective. They could maybe do that to free up some cap space, but you know, it creates potential issues down the road. I think we're going to see a lot of cuts. I think we're going to see a lot of players that are on this team who have a cap number under like, let's say $9 million, $8 million could become like an endangered species and your stars are going to get paid. Roger's going to be around probably mm-hmm. obviously Bakhtiari, Kenny Clark, the big dogs, right? Your stars, they're going to be around and they're still going to be expensive, but they need to get cheaper elsewhere. And, you know, there's a lot of guys who are in danger guys like Preston Smith, Amos, Billy Turner, Dean Lowry, Ricky Wagner, Kirksey, even your boy Crosby, who just got signed, you know, kickers, 
can be replaceable, especially if they can free up $3 million in the process. And I think it works for Gutekunst too. And he mentioned this in his press conference where that flexibility piece where he can look what other teams are going to have to do the same thing that are in worse shape uh, cap-wise. So he could actually get players at a discount that are released for other teams to fortify that roster. So I have a scenario that I just kind of threw together. Okay, like what's a realistic thing that could happen? So again, I told you that their starting point right now is 22.22.5 million dollars, let's call it, over the cap. Well, if we have the draft, which is about 10 picks right now, if we bring back our exclusive rights guys, there's only five of them and they're super cheap, so they're going to bring them back. If we bring back all of our guys who are on the practice squad and there's 16 guys, again, those guys are super cheap. And we cut Preston Smith, Kirksey, Ricky Wagner, and Dean Lowry. And then, again, it there, and there's more, folks. If we restructure Bakhtiari like I talked about, Rogers like I talked about, and Zadarius Smith, that would give them 15, or sorry, just under $15 million of top 51 salary cap space, which is the metric that's used in the offseason. Okay. But then take away about ten million of that for those in-season things, like I said, practice squad, player fifty, you know, fifty-two and fifty-three, and then their in-season kind of emergency fund. They'll have about a little over five million. So if they do all those things, cut four potential, you know, guys who have started on this team, restructure three, and bring back only your cheapest guys who are going to be exclusive rights free agents or practice squad guys who's deals are expiring, they've got about between five and $15 million to spend. So that's, you're looking at like maybe one more of the Packers free agents who they can bring back. So is that going to be an Aaron Jones? Is that going to be a Corey Lindsley, a Kevin King, Jamal Williams? One more significant deal, I would think, maybe two if they get a little bit more aggressive because there's other other guys that are going to have to come in who, like, a Chandon Sullivan, right? He's mm-hmm. a key player on this team. He's a restricted free agent. He's probably going to – that's going to be two-plus million dollars alone. Your boy, Bobby Tunyon, he's in the same boat. So there's another two-plus yeah. million dollars. So all these guys who are just, you know, two million here, two million there, the cheapest contract is $660,000. That's because cr- of the new CBA, those minimums jump up dramatically from the old CBA. So the salary cap is going down, but the player cost is going up. Imagine running a business where, you're, where, where your sales are going down, but your costs are going up. It's tough to stay in business without making big cuts. And that's what the Packers are looking like right now. Well, I can't wait to talk more salary cap questionnaires, what have you moving forward, because it's going to get even more exciting to see what the Packers decide to do. I would lean towards Corey Lindsley being a guy if they were to, if it, if there's one, because you, you drafted A.J. Dillon, you don't pay running backs like you have mentioned, and it's harder to find top-tier centers, just like it's harder to find left tackles, D-tackles. And it looks like Kevin King, who's now missed his fifth straight game with a quad injury, looking like he's playing himself out of a contract. So when you mentioned that one more move could be made, my thought process is that it, w- it would be Lindsley. 
But at the same time, maybe when Gutekunst was talking about the flexibility aspect, it was flexibility come this offseason with other teams that are getting right. cut and that he can get them at a discount. Right. If the Packers are definitely going to be cutting some guys, other a lot of other teams are going to do the exact same thing. And they can still play, but they're probably going to need to take modified deals or short-term kind of one-year deals, two-year deals that are really cheap in the first year in order to kind of make the finances work. And it's just the reality that we're in. And it's going to be a bumpy ride, man, but I'll, I'll be here for you. Buckle up. Can't wait to talk to you week in, week out, our second half of our salary cap edition uh, with a bang for our 7-2 and two on tap episode. As we get close to wrapping up, uh, we'd be remiss if we were not to talk about the golden boy, Paul Horning, who passed away at the age of mm. 84 last week Friday in his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, after a long battle with dementia. Uh, once described by Vince Lombardi as the greatest player that he has ever coached, um, he was selected number one overall in the 1957 NFL draft and uh, played from the Packers from 57 to 62 and again from 64 to 66. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1986, 11 years after he was inducted into the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. Ron Wolf, Ted Thompson, and Brian Gutekunst have decided to keep that number five. I know, I think Lindy Infante and I think Forrest Gregg were two that actually had players play in number five, but Vince Lombardi retired that. And uh, at the Unknown Packers podcast, it's been a lot. It's been a tough year for some great Green Bay Packer players that have fallen this year in 2020 and now another one to the list. But I uh, want to give our um, thoughts and condolences to the Horning family as well as um, Green Bay Packer fan base as we grieve all together for the Golden Boy. But wanted to mention that for everyone that's tuning in as well. And um, a little weird transition, but as we wrap up 7-2 uh, and two on tap, the Green Bay Packers look forward to facing the Indianapolis Colts. Quick thoughts, Ken. What are you thinking, Green Bay, Indianapolis? I think this will be one of the better matchups of the season, more evenly matched type of team. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little scared. Um, I think their quarterback is someone who can pick apart this defense if we allow them to and make them a little too comfortable in the pocket. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping and praying we see a little bit more Less of those three-man rushes, as you talked about, and I'm hoping for a victory, but I think this will be a good game. It could go either way, man. It really can. I think this will be a big test. Ken, is it lip service? I don't think it is when it comes to Coach LaFleur. I think he's a reflective, and he he applies what he says uh, in his practice and on the field, but this is an opportunity now to right your wrongs, get back on track. Um, You're the Green Bay Packers, and I'd like to see – uh, what this team is capable of. I know that they've had injuries on top of trying to piece together a roster during a pandemic, but this is the stretch. This is what I think that the Green Bay Packers need, and maybe this was just a kick in the mouth that they needed. Still pull away with a victory, but I'm looking for them to to right those wrongs, the, the areas of concerns that I mentioned in the first half. But can't wait to talk to you next week following our post game of the Colts and Packers, and we'll do some more salary cap questions. I want to thank everyone once again for tuning in to 7-2 and two on tap. I am Bryce Christensen. And I'm Ken Ingalls. And this is the Unknown Packers 
Podcast. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Unknown Packers, as well as Facebook, Instagram, the Unknown Packers podcast. You can check us out on our website, theunknownpackers.com, and a variety of different podcast platforms as well. You can also say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers podcast. That's right. We're friends with Alexa. Go Pack Go. This podcast was edited and produced by Sonic Transformation. Sonic Transformation. Your sound, refined.